Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 273 of the podcast. It's the 14th of April, 2021, as I record this intro. And this week, I have a wonderful conversation with Blonnet Cantwell about her family's unschooling journey. Initially, it was science and research that inspired Blonnet's parenting, but she found over time that her lived experience, as well as that of other families, helped her more deeply understand unschooling in practice. We talked about peeling back the layers and doing the deep internal work as she dove into neurobiology, attachment parenting, and education. She shared her realization that it was all about me, reflecting on the importance of being aware of our energy when we are supporting our family members and sharing some amazing stories and metaphors that help her dial down her own energy, which in turn allows her children to experience their emotions without the added weight of hers. Blonnet has thought deeply about unschooling through so many different lenses, and I really appreciate her sharing her experience and insights with us. As a personal update, it's only been a couple of weeks since we released Roya Dado's book, Connect with Courage, through my publishing imprint, Forever Curious Press, but the feedback has already been amazing. I love knowing it's resonating with others as much as it resonated with me when she sent me the first draft. It's been such a pleasure to work with her to bring it into the world. And before we get to my conversation with Blonnet, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patron, Lori Mashoyan. Hi, Lori. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support helps pay for the hosting and transcription, as well as my time spent creating new episodes each week. It's instrumental in keeping the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page on patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into my conversation with Blonnet. Welcome. I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Blonnet Cantwell. Hi Blonnet. I said that right, right? You did. <laughs> I usually have to do some coaching around that, but well done. <laughs> yeah, we got coaching a little while ago because I've gotten to know you um, over the last few months on the network. So I'm really excited that you agreed to come on the podcast so we can dive even deeper into your unschooling journey. So to get us started, can you share with us a bit about you and your family and what everybody's interested in right now? First off, I just want to say how chuffed I am at having this opportunity because this network and your podcast have been such a huge part of my life. Um, it's such an honor to be here. So uh, thank you so much for that. Oh, thank but, you. Uh, um, we're in a really good spot at the moment because fortunately, my husband, Vincent, is there's five of us, Vincent and myself, Lonage, and then Ronan, Nisha and Rua. And so Vincent is on holidays or between jobs at the moment. And so he's getting a, a chance to just be and decompress. So I feel like he's almost been unschooled for these few weeks. He's getting a chance to deep dive into 
his interests. And so his interest, major interest is biking, mountain biking, road biking, all the biking. And his other interest is watches because we live, we've just finished um, a stint of three years in Switzerland and he it's the home of watchmaking. So he was all into watches. And so now he's married his, his interest in watches with his interest in sport. And uh, it's just, it's opened up like a whole network of things um, so the moment he's in all into like measuring his fitness and all the things that support that and dietary and sleep, he's tracking his sleep at nighttime. And first thing in the morning is like, how did I sleep? Look at my watch. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so cool because uh, I, I love all those things too. And so it's easy for me to connect into what he's into. Now, if it was something like golf, I'd need, I'd need to be making a bit more of an effort. <laughs> But yeah, that's him. He's um, he's doing loads of biking. He's resting. His um, he's just having such a gorgeous time, and I think it's really valuable for him to see how it is to spend time on yourself and to have the people around you. To how good it feels to be supported in your things, and and I think he's starting to see that now in the kids. Wow. Well, that's so cool. It's, I mean, it's it's such a great time to be on this call because at other times um, we're in this lovely flow and it's all relaxed and there's no pressure. We're, we were in the middle of a move. We're now in Ireland for a couple of months and we're hoping to get back to New Zealand. So, um, you know, it's just a really just still and quiet time. So me, I am into all the running and uh, biking, swimming, rock running. Camping is a big one for me, nature and food uh, so we have quite similar interests um and uh ronan who's 13 he is a huge gamer he uh adores everything all different range of games he's on a big thing at the moment with rec room which is like a v you can do it in vr where you connect with your friends and you build a, like a little place to hang out and then there's games involved and he's always been big into building it's what started as an interest in lego has developed into like space themed spacecraft he was huge into mechanical builds on trail makers i don't know if anyone's heard of those and um, scrap mechanic and it's like it's a really interactive game where you can build a, a ship and then you can innovate it based on what you see so it's very tactile in that sense and just reacting to a change in your design and it's leading them down a path of like interest in space and mars and how people get there VR is a big one for him as well. And flight, he has, a, he downloaded a Microsoft flight simulator that pilots, real pilots, who my brother is a pilot, has actually used it. It's like a flight simulator where they use um, the actual layout of all the airports and the runways all across the world. And so he had to set that all up. There was huge detail in it. So he can now fly in on all different types of aircraft into all different airports. So it, it ties in really nicely with his interest in aerospace. So who knows where that will lead, but he's full into that at the moment. And Nisha is my second and she is 12. Um, she's huge into um, <clears throat> so many things, <laughs> into gaming, into Roblox and uh, like real life games where you're earning money. And she's huge into building and resourcing for that um, in the games where you have to gather money to build and she'll set out her budget and she'll talk about, I have a budget to build, but then I have this like 50,000, 10,000 to decorate. And she's trying to balance kind of, she's brilliant ideas on design. Um, 
she's huge into or was huge into gymnastics for a long time and not in a formal way, but just herself. And she gained great flexibility and she just has a great passion for moving her body. She loves to mountain bike as well. And then Rua, who is nine, is into all things as well. There's like a farming simulator game at the moment they're all into. And, and herself and Nisha are both learning trail makers from Ronan. So the aspect of build, he's helping them with the harder parts of that, which is really cool. And Rua is very empathetic. She has lots of different babies going around the place. She, she will see a, a character and a, and a personality and everything. Like we rock babies and stick babies and all sorts of things. Um, which is really cool so um as a group we we did an awful lot of trampolining and uh, everywhere we go we've lived in different parts of the world new zealand and singapore switzerland and ireland and we're all the four of us will always hang out during the day when everyone else is school in school in the in the trampoline centers when there's nobody there so we have so much fun with that sadly it's it's been put back a bit in covid for for here in ireland but hopefully that will come back again so it's kind of like a, we kind of look at life as kind of, for Vincent and I anyway, it's like a training camp and we, and we love to just um, get out there and do loads of sport and then come home and eat really well and have a really cozy nest. Um, and the kids will join in when they're interested or they, they don't when they're not, but they're not interested. And so there's lots of different, different types of things. And it kind of goes in cycles when we go somewhere new, there's a whole avenue of things that open up and then over time it quietens down and then something else pops up. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, I love, I love the way you described it because it's, it really describes just the flow of things, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I love how you describe like you and Vincent have your interests, like your kids know, what um, you guys like to do, what you guys enjoy doing, and they're welcome to join you, but there's no pressure there. So I think that's something that can really um, stop us up when we first come to unschooling. Yeah, that was massive for me that because I think I had this ingrained notion that, oh, the lovely unschooled family who do all the things together. And, and because my thing was sport, I thought, well, everybody likes sport, don't they? And, uh, you know, I put such pressure on them in the early days when they were when they were small, before even we unschooled, not pressure, but I was always having them out and always doing things, trying to instill this sense of joy in sport. And somebody once said to me, you know, what would you do if your kids weren't into sport? And I was like, that'll never happen. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> For me, that was one of the hugest things I had to unpack because I didn't listen to the signals when they, when they didn't want to do it. And. Um, I tell you a very quick thing. When I was in Switzerland, a friend of mine was down in France, which was like a three-hour driveway, and she invited us down to visit. And I was like, "This is awesome!" Because we had looked at living in that area—the ski, the mountain bike, all the things—and nobody wanted to go. And I was—it came down to the wire. I was trying to use all the things to get everyone like, "Please, just do this," and and you could do this, and convincing everyone for my agenda. And I I failed, and I had to. In the end, I had to. I said, "Right, okay." I'll go on my own and stay overnight and drive back. So it was a three-hour drive. And at that time, do you remember the podcast with Ronnie Meyer on shame, dismantling shame? I listened to that three times in a row, back to back on that journey down, and three times in a row on the way back because it was all, I suddenly twigged. This was all my thing, and I was trying to get them to always do my thing, using those tools of, like, manipulation. Mm -hmm. 
and I was horrified at myself. And I, it was one of those really key markers I remember where it was the first time I really let go of them um, doing all the things with us or the things we wanted to do and could just see it that bit more clearly. But thank you to Ronnie if she ever sees this. <laughs> Her voice was in my head for months afterwards, which was so amazing, you know. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I love that because so often we can point out, you know, just that one moment where something clicks, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's valuable as much as we can not to shame ourselves for our previous you know, actions, choices, whatever, but to say, you know, cause we're always growing and learning and changing. And so this is like a new piece that I can bring with me as I move forward. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the end, I did like a Venn diagram of all the interests and, and there were really key ones that we all like to do. And it was just, and then we divided up the people and it, it, but it took that work to just move away from that old thinking of, it took a long time, but um, I'm so relieved now to look back and think, because the joy I get out of doing my things, I've suddenly kind of twigged. I don't know how I didn't know it, but that's the same joy they get out of their things, and they're just not the same things. <laughs> right? And then what you can share is that joy, that excitement. You can be excited so much for them about the thing, even if the thing isn't particularly interesting to you. Because you can relate to that feeling of just being so excited about something, right? Yeah. And when I live, Vidi tracks me come and go around the bike, you know, when I come home and as I drive down the driveway, they're invariably all out on the doorstep because you can see on the dot here I'm coming and they're tapping me in. It's like, and it's so gorgeous because if I was hoofing them out and making them do my thing, you just wouldn't get that kind of energy and support that you would get otherwise, you know? Wow. Wow. I love that. And I had to have a little giggle. Because Rocco, <laughs> my husband's big thing is golf. <laughs> I know, I know. I remember you saying that because I grew up in a family of golfers, and so and Vinny was a golfer. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Thank yeah. goodness he got who he uh, he He's moved over to the United. You just said, no, it's golf is wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful, but it's just long. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. It was so cool listening to, um, as you talked about your kids too, you know, um, how, how fun it sounded that their interests, while they were their own, but there were also these overlaps. Yes. Like you said now, um, with that that game that they're, that they're helping, they're working together now. Um, Trail makers. Yeah, that was it. But there were also different pieces of them. That, that were similar, like you mentioned, mechanical, you mentioned building, like different, but then you you talked about furniture and building spaces versus building like planes and, <laughs> and that kind of activity, the more mechanical kind of activity. But it is so interesting how they connect and flow in their own directions at the same time. Oh, yeah. Open that, yeah. Right? And not just even like from a on a game point of view, but into their lives as they exist in the world and in the things they do around the house, there's so much crossover. And that's one of the beauty of of things that I see in gaming is how it feeds into, it gives them more 
juicy things to play with in their real lives and, and they take from that and put it back in and you know there's this constant connection of all the things and they're open to so many things and they they join in on the joy if one of them is big into something and say I might think oh Ronan's way beyond that and then he joins back in for the nostalgia of it and then they all go for three days and have a big old play <laughs> it's just amazing it re- I sometimes blows my mind it really does I love that you mentioned that because there is that nostalgic piece too. Like when the fun is in the connection, you know, you can find all different ways. It doesn't have to be like, this is something new and I want to learn it. So I want to participate. You can come with so many different lenses to it. Mm. (laughs) Even Vincent finds that, you know, because Ronan is suddenly uh, into 80s music and it pops up in different things. And then Vinny's roar laughing because you know, it's like a song, uh, Boney M or something that he used to listen to going, they, it's a family going in the car and he, he might pull up the video and try and show it to them and they're like, oh, that's so weird. <laughs> but all these things existed in, in the old days. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. next to us as well, which is quite funny. Yeah, yeah. So I would love to know how you actually discovered unschooling and what your family's move to unschooling looked like. Um, when Ronan was one, we had uh-huh. already moved to New Zealand. So um, and we had actually then moved on to Brisbane for a job for Vincent. And um, <clears throat> we were in this, I was in this really cool park and I bumped into a load of homeschool or homeschoolers. I didn't know what homeschooling was, never heard of it. It didn't exist in Ireland where I came from. And so I got chatting to the dad and I just, what I noticed about him, I'd always chat to the people in the park just because, and uh, I really noticed that he was so into his kids. He wasn't kind of off trying to distract himself. You know, all the kids are sorted. He was really in there with them and um, it struck me, you know? And so I started chatting to him and asked him why you're here during the day. Like, and, and then he, he wasn't just a homeschooler. He was actually an unschooler. And he started off on, of course I was like, Oh, it really interesting but <laughs> and uh, how how does that work and he did the whole chat about you know he obviously had a spiel ready and it was like you know we we would buy some seeds and sow the seeds and then gather the stuff and sell it at the market and tying in all the things and I was like oh that's amazing but the most struck I was by his, with his relationship to his kids but I did, do remember going home that night with Ronan at one age one saying to Vincent and um, that's all amazing but what if that child wants to do medicine (laughs) is that a bit unfair you know and so it kind of nothing I didn't come across anything else on it and the town we live in in New Zealand is called Motueka and there's tons of homeschoolers in that area and so the the story went on in the sense that uh I I kind of always had a sense with my kids that I wanted to be with them I wanted to uh, I wanted them to be the folks of the day. And so I was kind of good at putting aside all the jobs and a little bit, like there was big dust bunnies rolling around. And, there was, you know, there was a lot of that. And I kind of, some, when I was really strung out, I'd struggle, it's so messy. But my my biggest instinct was to hang out with them and enjoy, because I knew this time was really short. And on the periphery of that, there were people saying to me, oh, you know, socialization, and it'd be good for you to get some time. This is after Nisha now. Nisha was born, so she's the second. And so uh, we decided, decided Montessori type um, route, and it just it always felt just off. 
and there was always that sense of like they were always crying at the gate like and we were kind of spread it because we were doing trips to Ireland so we were we weren't there kind of at any stage long enough for them to settle in as people kind of and I just I just I'd be crying and they'd be crying and I remember saying to one of the teachers one day I said "Do, do we have to do this you know and she was like well only if you want to you know and I was like okay but it's still I was never thinking that we would homeschool and so we did a few trips to Ireland again primary school Ronan had started and then Nisha started and Ronan was kind of more he just kind of rolled in with it he did seem a little he used to have a lot of tummy pains and he would just wasn't his energy kind of went down and and then when holidays would come it was huge angst in the house that they had to reconnect and re refine their relationship. Um, so, yeah, I had come from a family of educators and always thought, yeah, this school is great. School is so brilliant for people. But when it came to the reality of being at the gate and seeing them going in and coming out, I really struggled. It just felt really off. And I spent a lot of time when Nisha started within the first six months, I spent a huge amount of time in the classroom kind of I set myself into a teacher's aid kind of help with the reading in the morning but because I, I felt I needed to be in there to support her because she was she sat at the table with her thumb in her mouth and I could just sense that deep deep unhappiness and even though I still never really kind of thought well there's an alternative until an alternative popped its head up and um, Vincent had been traveling a lot to, to Australia all that time over and back for like two three weeks at a time and and the kids weren't seeing a lot of them. And we, we had moved for this beautiful lifestyle. And I began to think, this isn't what we moved for. You know, what we're doing this kind of grind of school and he's going to work for weeks on end. We didn't move to the other side of the world to do that. So a job came up for him in Singapore where we would all have to go. And at that stage, I think we'd gone to Ireland and the teachers wanted us to keep up the level of work they were doing for maybe six weeks. So I had kind of a flavor of homeschooling. Let's do that. And it kind of worked okay. It wasn't like they weren't learning a huge amount, but the idea of it was lovely. So then the Singapore thing came up and it was kind of at that stage, I had met um, some homeschoolers and met some unschoolers in our own community. And the idea was starting to kind of percolate a little bit. Um, so the the initial was then moving. We started a homeschool. It was, you know, I can do a better job with these children. I went and, you know, I, I said, I'm going to do it in the most amazing way. I'm going to use all the technological tools that I can use and augmented reality. I was building like seascapes with seagulls. And then you, there was a thing that would pop up because you could use augmented reality. I said, they'll surely be interested in this and, and the solar system, you know. And, you know, they just weren't really, they weren't, they do it because they kind of had to, um, but there was still that very low energy. But anyway, I went to Singapore and the opportunity to unschool with no kind of, it was just like this place where you could be anonymous. And so I jumped on the chance. So that was, it started really from that time. Wow. (laughs) I love that, that opportunity just kind of it finally just kind of came together for you right because you'd had all these other it feels like you were just getting pieces of the puzzle and pieces of the puzzle along the way and then so how long were you guys in Singapore we were there for 18 months yeah so I think uh, at that stage I'd probably been kind of homeschooling for about a year leading into that and I, I just 
it was not working. It was no matter what I did and the most kind of jazzy things I thought I could and go at it in the way they liked and thought they would like. It really, that was not working. So it, it seemed like it was like all the ducks lined up because it was, it was an ideal opportunity and I was ready for it at that stage. I was ready to give it a go because I think it would be hard if you weren't there, you know, it would be hard to make that huge shift. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how did it go when you landed in Singapore there? <laughs> I like that thing of like a whole new place and yeah. we did all the things. I mean, it's an absolutely incredible place to be. It's daunting. I had worked there 20 years ago for maybe four months. So I had a sense of, you know, it's safe, it's clean, all the things. So I there wasn't that level of, I'm so worried that we're going to this unknown. I knew it and I had a very good sense of it. And um but from a from a, a transition into into unschooling, there were lots of I met a really fantastic French family who kind of she kind of I was just on the cusp of entering into it and she opened up my eyes um through just the way she talked and, and inspired me to go further. So the next step I took was of course <laughs> releasing all the things and it was all a bit sudden and um and yes, it was still following the kids, but it was the realization that you hand over the choice, but they're not always going to choose the thing you want. And it's like, it's, it didn't pan out like that. And because Vincent was under huge pressure with work, the sleep thing was an issue. And, you know, they were gaming more. Uh, and like all this, I realized now what was a cycle at the time of when you go somewhere new, and there's all these things to do. Everyone's out and doing the things and there's so much energy. But as time goes on, and um, their interest in doing all those same things over and over was waning. And uh, we had a brilliant, what we call park hoppers group. And um, there was like homeschoolers, unschoolers from all over the world. And we would meet in different parks all over Singapore. And there were the best days where we would be out there for like six hours. There was never anyone in the parks because it was too humid. So we were all there sweating and then there'd be a big torrential downpour. And they would be in the muck having such a brilliant time for like six hours straight and then we'd, we'd send our coordinates to Vincent and he would come and pick us up in the car and put plastic out and put these mucky kids in and so the experience of it was brilliant but as time went on and I gave them more choice they'd had enough of it and so that's when I have this image of myself in standing at the bus stop in Singapore trying to get them out to go to one of these things which they had loved but now they weren't really kind of still loving it and the stress and the emotional upheaval. I stood at the bus stop, just tears rolling down my cheeks. And it's just, it's that, that is my de-schooling moment where it all just came to a head. And I was like, it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. And I began to question all the things. It, uh, it was huge. And now even I can smell it because sing and I can feel it because Singapore is really humid and there's a very distinct smell to it. So that whole experience is like surround sound in my head. It was hard. That was hard. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, that does lead us very nicely to the next question, which was, what was one of your more challenging aspects of being like a taste? And if you can share a bit of your journey through that, if you can get well. <laughs> and, and because I am, I was in science all my life, I... I always tend to kind of find comfort in certainty and, you know, research. And so that's why I, I decided, right, I have to find an answer to this, if there's an answer. <clears throat> and 
at the time, Rua was turning five and we knew we were going back to New Zealand. And in New Zealand, you have to apply for a homeschooling um, exemption from the school system. So you have to write a big application and prove and show what you're going to do. And that's all you have to do. You do it once. If you get your exemption, then you're done. You don't come and test. This is a fantastic system. And in those years, they had embraced the philosophy of unschooling as part of it. So it's just brilliant. So I decided I was going to have to put my money. We have to write it for her before we got back. So I kind of had to put my money where my mouth was and say, right, I truly believe in this thing. And now I have to write it and prove it and get like an exemption for it. <laughs> and so um, I dived into all things education. Um, I said, I'm not going to have a curriculum, but I'm going to know, I'm going to understand what what, I'm, what is the end goal of this whole thing. And so there's a huge amount of research being done in America, actually, by this um a guy called Dominic Randolph, and he's one of the top, he's a principal of the top, one of the top schools in New York. And he was big into character traits and trying to move away from academia. So I followed him, I emailed him to think, tell him how brilliant he was. And uh, it, it was just a great thing to see because it was in the cold face of what educa- is happening in education of this move to try and change towards more emotional stability. And the other person I hit upon was Dan Siegel. He's an interpersonal neurobiologist. So he talks about how the brain changes in response to interpersonal relationships. So <clears throat> academics for me was where it was. And so <laughs> I had to write it all into, um, into this application for Rua. So I just as a matter of interest, I don't want to bombard anyone with the kind of science. I have them written here so I don't forget them. But I looked up the definition of well-being. And there's like nine of them. There's like how to regulate your body, having like an attuned communication, emotional balance, um, how to control your fears, how to be flexibility and how you can respond to people without being reactive, insight, empathy, morality and intuition. I was like, this is it. This is the Holy Grail. And uh, and, uh, I was like, oh, this is amazing. And so it turns out that the first eight of those are a proven outcome from attachment parenting. And I didn't even know what attachment parenting was. And my friend was a big attachment parent. And she said to me once, well, we have similar parenting styles. And I was like, there are parenting styles? <laughs> like, it's attachment. <laughs> and so um, I, I remember that day standing at the bus stop, thinking of all my academia, you know, these nine things that I wanted for my kids. And I was failing on all of them myself. And I realized I'm the one that's the project. I'm the one that needs to learn these skills. And the funny part was at this stage, I was like inhaling your podcast. It was like, I'd wake up in the night for two hours and I'd be listening to you. And and I went on to buy the Childhood Redefined Summit. It was huge and changing how I thought because one hand I had all this scientific knowledge but what you gave in your podcast was the experience of it, the real life experience and people's stories. It was all connecting back into the structure that I had learned to give myself comfort. And it was like, ding, 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 all these things. But you couldn't just go at it from the scientific point of view because it didn't make any sense in applying it. But by having the podcast and the, and the summit, you were suddenly able to see that there was a way for it to be and now it didn't happen as quickly as that and I had some moments of like Ronnie's shame 
Uh, and another one, a huge one for me was the one you said um, about the, the gardener and the carpenter that we can keep pulling out our veggie gardens because I had done that in real life like you. You could keep pulling out your veggie gardens and starting again. You can't really keep doing that with your kids. And, and I remember hearing that and again, the tears. I was like, I have to sort this out. I have to sort this out or I have to really consider not doing this anymore. So that was a real eye opener. But it still didn't happen very quickly. (laughs) 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 Like when you you back a layer, like there is always another layer under there, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it it really that that is why, you know, when we talk about when people first come to unschooling, like it's like give yourself minimum six months. Preferably at least a year. (laughs) Well, I mean, (laughs) to get started. Because, yes, I mean, I'm still peeling back layers now, right? Because you just discover more and more connections. But, like, I love your description of, you know, you had your academic stuff here. So that's the intellectual understanding of what we want to do, right? But then seeing what that looks like in real life. Mm. Also, the fact that you can't just write a one book that says this is what it looks like in real life because we're all different people, right? Exactly. And families, we have all different relationships. So we are the ones who need to figure out for us what it looks like. Mm. And you really do need that kind of slap in the face to really move you on to the next level because you could stay in that spin for such a long time. I could have stayed in that spin. I could still be in it. Mm-hmm. And it's a really horrible place to be. I really, I, you know, it's a horrible place to be. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, and we talk about that too, that you can get kind of stuck in that chaos, mm-hmm. right? Unless mm-hmm. you keep the revelation that, oh, this is me to figure out for me, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's our head that's spinning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's fascinating. Like for me, that is the heart of the unschooling journey, right? It's like, got to figure it's like, okay, because it doesn't take too long. If you're doing the research enough to, to know, kind of get an idea of what the principles that feel good for you, right? Whether it's through the lens of well-being and, you know, this is what I want to do or, or, you know, whatever lens it is that has brought you kind of here in the first place. But then to get from there to what that looks like day to day, that's mm-hmm. the juicy part, but it's the hard part, isn't it? And, and, and yes, it is going to be for a forever thing. But when you get the confidence to see the benefit of it and to understand that it is forever and that everyone else is in it too, not, we, we were, we're Vinny and I were talking this morning, but it's not unschooling. You know, we don't want to call it that anymore. Let's just call it life. But everyone, everyone is in it in their own way, doing their own thing. And it's that acceptance of, they are where they are they are where they need to be and to allow them to be there and whatever journey it is but this is just another journey a big journey but it's um yeah I think the self-care is the like you did a great um month on self-care and it's really that part is so important to be enable yourself to do all this looking and digging because when you're when you fall out of it when you fall out of that mode you actually shut down your own ability to do all those lovely things, those nine things that you wanted your child to do, because that's the reality. This like ability to process things and be yourself is gone. 
completely. And if you, it's like I think of it as a dip. At the start, you just fall into those dips really badly, and it's so hard to get out of them. Um, and as time goes on, you get better at anticipating or seeing yourself at the top of them where you can see the whites of everyone's eyes. Like I was talking about on the network, I can see my own eyes. And it's like you get to anticipate it so you don't have this huge suck of, of energy to get back up and you catch it really early and the dip is more shallow. Um, and that's part of that over time you get better and better at going back uh, and seeing what you did. How did I react and how do I not do that the next time? Or what are the things that are causing me to go into that kind of fear-based situation? Um, and it's so it's a constant looking at your internal mind and just calming yourself down because when you have all of those nine elements engaged, life is just... <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, I what bubbled up for me when you were describing that there, it's like the two big pieces are our awareness. So our awareness of our needs, right? And uh, of how we're feeling. And then the compassion piece too. So, you know, when we realize that it's not just, it's not just for our kids, but how valuable that is for uh, ourselves, because then the energy that we can bring to our day, it's just, it's amazing the difference, right? When we've supported ourselves, like even if it's, you know, mantras and, um, you know, just sorting through our thoughts, like trying to work through that swirl, settling that swirl, right? That just helps our energy. And then when we bring that energy into the day, we so often you get that energy back. And and like you said, then you kind of get this. I've really noticed it recently because I kind of went from like the small toddler phase and a lot of toddlers in the same spot. And that was energy sapping and then like moving and all the things. I was always attributing my tiredness to that. Now I find that because I'm catching my, I'm really like listening to those internal voices in my head and and using, you know, Anna Oman, which is in the summit and she's like, is it really? And I kind of use that a lot. If I hear something going on, I'm like, really? And as a result, my energy stays more stable. So now at night, in the evening time, when I put dinner down on the table, before I used to be just so depleted and I, I, I had no energy to chat and to have a laugh. And now I can sit down at the table and everyone's yakking and I'm yakking. And I, the other day I just felt cranky. What has changed? And what I now know has changed is I haven't let those fear-based inner voices or voices from the past or worry about the future I haven't let them in on me and that has become my normal whereas before I had this big internal dialogue going on and it was so energy sapping and now I really see it in the last even since we've come to Ireland in the last five months there's so much energy going around a fizzle going around the house because I'm not so depleted by my (laughs) yes I love that. I love because it's amazing how much of that is in our own heads, right? How much of our work is processing, like you said, through maybe baggage from the past, um, other voices that we've heard in our lives, judgment that we either feel from others or that we're putting on ourselves. You know, there is just so much for us to sort through. But it's such valuable work, isn't it? (laughs) Okay. okay, so 
Now, so you've shared with us a lot about how you've been processing, how you moved to unschooling. And I think it's pretty common for one parent to kind of take the lead, right? Um, For learning about unschooling, focusing on embracing it with the kids, with ourselves, doing all this work. But what can happen is that then the other parent kind of gets left behind, you know, especially when they're, you know, busy, maybe they're working outside the home, right? And they're very busy and stressed with that. So uh, I would love to hear your experience on working through that piece when you kind of, you know, pop up for a second and you're like, oh, (laughs) you know, there's another family member here. (laughs) Just like that. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah again sing and it's so funny because my the parts of my de-schooling are so joined to location so the first part of that in Singapore I desperately wanted Vincent to know all the things to learn all the things and of course he was like in the throes of a massive pro- he was working like 60 hours a week and and there was no way on heaven's earth he had space in his life. But I still had an expectation that he would adore his kids so much that he would spend every waking moment doing what I was doing. <laughs> and it was like, it was it reminded me of a bit like, you know, when you have your babies first and your mothering instinct and your hormones or you're in the flood of hormones and, you, you know, you would kill anyone that came near your baby. But it was all about doing the right thing for the baby. And because you're breastfeeding and you have all this natural connection, your husband or partner gets kind of pushed to the side. And I definitely did that with him. And he never did anything right. He never changed in nappy writing. And it was like, he must have probably felt he needed to back away to kind of protect himself. But what I saw as um, his reluctance to do the thing and to learn the thing and to take it on, we actually had a really good discussion this morning about it was he just trusted that I would do know what I was doing and do the right thing. And he gave a really good scenario that kind of opened my eyes a bit. So he always did the finances and those horrible tax things. And well, the idea of it now for me is horrific, horrific. <laughs> and he just took that role and he never had an expectation that I would learn about tax. Now I know it's a different thing because there's an emotional element attached to your child that's not attached to tax. But he said, it's like in an industry situation, all you have experts in different areas and you can't expect everyone to have the same level of knowledge and, and interest or you know ability in all the things because you'd never get anywhere. So you trust the particular expert in that thing to take you forward and then you offer your expertise in this area. So in his head today, he said, yeah, he just trusted me. Now, what fell down in all of that is we never communicated that to each other. And I'm saying this here today in the hope that it'll help somebody else in that there are ways you could talk about that, even in that exact way that there's someone is out carrying the responsibility of, of bringing in money and the responsibility of all that. So they definitely don't have the time and energy. But for me, what was in my head was he doesn't care enough. He's not. He, he's not. And he was probably thinking this is an indoctrination of some sort. <laughs> and uh, he trusted me. He said the deep seated thing today was that he trusted that I knew where it was going and sometimes because we never really communicated that and say for example in a situation where I feel like oh that's he's not uh, he's not being so respectful of this situation of the kids or whatever and I get in old mama bear and it's hard in those moments but I've learned that you know and 
we can find a way to communicate that. We can find a way to, so we've created words that when we can see we're in that situation that we don't just go to that emotional blowout, that we can take a break and say, right, okay, there's an issue here, not the unschooling of the life. You know, there's just one thing that's popped up and maybe it's somebody's really tired over here or stressed over here. But if we if we could have managed that from the start, I think if we could have, but it's really hard to, to know that because you're so in the thick of the emotion. I was so thick in the emotion of, I can't believe he just doesn't want to learn all this, all this huge amount of stuff about neurobiology and about curriculum. <laughs> and how would he? Like he hasn't had hardly time to go to the toilet for the last five years. So yeah, I think, um, and what we came to the conclusion that it's that, it's just learning to respect that everyone will come to it. It's a bit like the food and the cycling and, you know, People will come to the thing when they're ready to come to the thing, when they have to come to the thing, when they're, that chink of interest or need opens up, they will come to the thing. And we can only guide and model. I think that's where he has moved the most is just seeing that relationship between the kids and I. And he's starting to move in that direction. And the other part was I realized I had to stop just doing this kind of connected love for the kids that I really needed to make an effort to include him and the biggest take home from that for me was that I was so independent like driven independent I never need anyone like to to get married or to do all the things for me it was like such an upheaval because I thought I'm gonna lose my independence but when I took the time to connect with him and what he loves and nurture him and support him that it was actually I was getting so much benefit from it that I, I was kind of had to divorce myself from this just I to this this lovely we. And the, it was like I was suddenly filled up with this, oh, my goodness, this is just so amazing. So he just went along as he did, not noticing any different. And it was, again, me. It was like, oh, my goodness, I don't have to be so independent. I can be this part of – I'm not losing myself if I – connect with him really deeply and connect with my kids really deeply I'm not losing myself I'm actually filling myself up it's like and that's only in the last six months <laughs> you probably saw a play out in the network <laughs> it's all about me <laughs> right I mean that is so it is so hard to grasp you know before you try it out mm-hmm. that it, it seems so counterintuitive For me to, you know, give this energy to um, my relationship with my kids and with my partner and to think that it will actually be energizing versus draining. Totally, yeah. Right? (laughs) I I was was a jaw dropper. Um, Yeah, so now it's just like... uh, Everybody just gets snuggled up and, and and I am less I and more we. And and ultimately, when you think about it, you know, there's this huge strive for independence and kids. When you take a step back, it's not what we want at all, because it's that separation of people from the planet, people from each other, that that's the root of an awful lot of problems. And for me, it's this um, it's like such a fantastic connection to make that we're teaching them that we can rely on each other, that we can ask for help, that we're there for each other, how good it feels when someone is there to, to be, you're seen and safe and secure and you're being soothed by these people in community, in the wider community. When you learn that from that core age, like I think it's, it's, it's incredible. 
So at what age am I? 47, a revelation. I don't have to be independent. <laughs> right? And I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to oh, always be yeah. right, you know. That, I can cry. I can cry. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's amazing. It that that is a huge uh, aha moment. I remember that that shift for myself too. It was like, but that's where that is where when we're supposedly less independent, but we're more ourselves. Mm, it's so it's it feels so good. It feels so good. Yeah, that's amazing. Now we've been talking about energy here and there. And so I wanted to focus on that for a little bit, because when we set up the call, you mentioned how sensitivity to energy can be a superpower. And I love the way you phrase that. So I wanted to dive into that with you. What does that look like for you? I'm very sensitive to energy too, probably which I used to think was not a superpower at all. <clears throat> but I'm I'm also very pictorial. I find it very much easier to hold on to a concept if I have an image in my head. So I'm going to give you all an image. So when I was um, probably in my 20s, I was training for a triathlon, my first one. And um, I was terrified I wasn't going to finish it. So I went headlong into the training. And so one of the things I used to swim in the pool, at, like first thing in the morning, there was nobody else in the pool. So it was a 50 meter pool, like glass. And because that feeling when you first get into the water and there's a ripple, it's just you and your energy in the pool. And for me, as kind of introverted where I was like working in a lab all day and there was so much external stuff for me, it was just that, <sighs> And um, <clears throat> and it was the thing that motivated me to get up that early every day because it was that feeling of absolute. Um, I learned in that kind of non-energetic environment, you can just dedicate your attention to yourself. I learned so much because I wasn't a, really a swimmer, um, and you would get sometimes because the water was so still, you would get this glide in between your strokes. And as people who swim, they know that that's what you're looking for. But I learned so much about myself. And then I went on to the swim in the triathlon was actually an open water swim. So what I think of this process in the relationship with our families is how cool is it if we can just give them that still water to find themselves, to develop themselves in the long term, to be able to react when they go into that open water of the sea, because you're so much more in tune with how you feel and so I know I talked before about that energy dial when you're in an emotional, somebody's having an emotional ripple, that it's important for them to be in it and not have your energy attached into it. And over time, they get better at dealing with it and eventually in the long term, like understanding themselves so much more deeply. If, if I'm not putting my energy in there, it's important for me to be there. But that skill of learning to dial down my energy to allow them to have their own energy just on unpolluted um, is incredible so I often go around my day looking to see popping my head in to see is their water calm and still and do I need to be there with them or you know am I adding my stuff onto them because the greatest gift I feel that I can give them is to remove my internal from you know their experience of life and that's it's been a hard place to get to to understand that I just had to not do that um so I hold that image of that and that I can actually feel that water you know as I go about my day and just know how good that felt and that's the gift that I can actually give to the people around me I think that's um, pretty cool yeah I love that image I love that image 
Yeah, I can sense that now too. I used to <laughs> swim. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm carrying that one with me. But I love too how you talked about not bringing our energy on top of our kids. Because so for me, um, that that related to or connected to um, judgment, like feelings of expectations or judgment. And when we bring that with us, that comes because we notice that our kids can feel it. Even if we're not literally saying it, they can they can feel that we're bringing that. So talking about that as energy works really, really well, I think, to help people have a sense for um, what can happen when we're holding expectations and we don't do the work to work through them. Yes. To find out where they're coming from, to work it out for ourselves so we don't hold them anymore. We just think at, at the beginning that, oh, yeah, we're not supposed to have expectations, so I'm not going to say it. Yet, when we get into the situations with our kids, they can feel that energy. Okay. They can feel just even through, maybe it comes out through the tone of our voice. Like, are you almost finished with your game? Or are you, <laughs> are, are you ready to come outside yet? You know, yeah, yeah. The, our energy can, still comes through. So to think of it that way, that you're looking for their, their stillness, um, because for them, that's where the expert that's where they're really in the flow and engaged in what they're doing. And so holding on to our energy, not even holding on to it, but to be aware of it and to yeah. help settle before we go into that situation with them, before we step into the room mm-hmm. or, or step like, where like I talk about the energy dial, you know, the fire and the fire alert signs and you can dial up it's fire risk is high or low. I do try to kind of see myself go just before I kind of go into a, um, but it's all, I think also part of that is, and I know, you know, Dan Siegel, who I've mentioned before, he has this great stuff on how we can, like with an attuned relationship, really attuned to your child, that you actually, when you kind of regulate how you are, your energy inside, that they have mirror neurons in their own, the kids in their own brains that are, are reflecting what you are creating. So you're actually, you're not just standing at the side of the pool, still in the water, but you're actually modeling all the time that you show that ability to regulate yourself that they're learning that through and it's not like a, you're saying it it's actually a physical thing that happens in your brain that then happens in their brain and as a result they're growing a whole new set of neurons that gives them the ability in the future to swim in that open water to be regulated with all of those lovely nine things that we mentioned earlier on with reflecting on themselves reading how they feel in their mind and seeing in other people the type of like it's it's that what's what they're saying and what they're doing might be something that happened in the past that's coming out to me and it's not me it's them those all those kind of internal workings is what we are trying to enable them to do and and we're doing that just by being there and modeling it we're not talking about the science of it we're just setting our energy and and showing them how to move through the world without the ball <laughs> no, I love that. I have not dove into that research, into Dan's research um, that much, but I've seen that in action too, right? Because especially when you're going into a moment where our kids are feeling challenged or frustrated, you know, and they're high energy, when we can go in 
without bringing more on top of it. And we can go in, like you said, with that calmness, we're actually, we can absorb their energy, like, because it's not about us. We can absorb, let it flow over us. And yes, they do. It is so appreciated. Like even when we're frustrated to be with someone who's calm and they're not getting frustrated back at us. Find the answer. Oh, right? Yeah, yeah. The answer is later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because you know what? Your brain's not working when you're in, in no. Stay. That is not the place to make choices or decisions or anything like that, right? What a gift is that, that this process of learning about uh, unschooling our life is, you know, it has given us the gift to learn all these tools. Like at 47, I like I can see in my kids who are 13, 12 and 9 that they have skills that I've only just developed over the last yeah. two years. I hate to say that. <laughs> How do we get to that age? How do we get to that age? Which is why it's so interesting to see that the educators are now taking this on board and um, and trying to implement it in, on a broad spectrum in schools is that that the emotional regulation is such a major part of life in who you are in the world and how you interact. Um, and I'm so relieved to see that, that that is happening, but it's not happening quick enough Um yeah it's all it to me it's just mind-blowing how did I get to this age but the gift of getting here now and this is why it's so lovely to do this uh, call with you today because I wouldn't have sat down and pulled out all these thoughts and reflected on them and looked back at the, the journey that we've had so far without this today it's like writing that report when Rue was five sometimes when you make when you have to do these things that initially is like oh they're actually so valuable because you just kind of take stock and go, wow, you know, I can't believe I am here. I am so fortunate. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible. It's just, and I said to Vincent today, I am so, I am so happy that this came into our lives so randomly, but it was kind of, you know, it was coming at me from different directions. I'm so relieved that we are where we are today. Whatever happens, I'm so relieved. Oh, that is so beautiful. So beautiful, Blonnet. So from there, what is your favorite thing about the flow of your unschooling days right now? Um, it's kind of everyone is, uh, it's a funny thing that happens, you know. I know Talia talked about it the other day in the network, about your aura. Everyone everyone goes around kind of dipping into each person's aura and they're all wanting to be. So if you have, if I, I go around during the day checking in on everyone and, you know, having a chat and a giggle, but invariably, if I'm gone out of the area for a while, they'll all follow me. And so at night time, everyone comes into my room and suddenly they're all in the bed. And it's like this kind of we're soaking each other up and soaking up all that loveliness, which we didn't do before. And the other part is, and thanks to Ali for the very important sitting idea, because if she, if she hadn't talked so much about that from the primate point of view, I'd never really taken that on board but that's the way it is now. We're all happy to spend the time, the beauty of this time that most people don't get. They don't even know the value of it. And we get it full on all the time. Now, sometimes it gets interrupted and that in itself is very difficult when we're, we're not expecting it to, or one of us to be taken, and me to be taken away from that function of very important sitting with just nothing else, just being there. That is it's a top priority for me now and just I've 
sank into it and the benefits of that for everyone has been incredible. Um, and it's just allowing us to see everyone on their journey and to accept where they are and to be really joyful about where they are. They are where they are and they need to be where they want to be. And everyone will get to the things in their own time. So, yeah, just sinking into that. And just it's just all coming at this time when everyone's just chilled out. It's just a perfect time to do this call. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love that so much, Blonin. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. It was so fun. I really loved the focus on the energy and in all, not only the stuff you shared about your journey, but so much about how when we're with our kids, like just just being, how how we even just seek out just kind of being in each other's aura or just in each other's presence for a little while, because even without words, even without conversations, it's refreshing, right? Refilling. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It is amazing. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much. And before we go, where can people connect with you online? Probably through the network um, is the best place. Um, I'm not really, I'm not really a Facebooker or any of those. <laughs> but you, I'll certainly you could pop my email into the links in the show notes. And yes. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much, and have a great rest of the day. I will indeed. Thank you. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey, and be sure to check out the growing podcast archive. The conversations never go out of date. You can find more information about my books, the Living Joyfully Network online community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course at my website, livingjoyfully.ca.